902 Brewing Company is the official beer of the Wager Pager podcast. Our friends over at 902 are putting out some of the best local craft beer in the Garden State. Log on to 902brewing.com to check out some of our favorite beers, like Juicy City IPA and Path Pale Ale. Or come grab a growler at the 902 Brewing Company tap room opening soon on Pacific Avenue in Jersey City, New Jersey. Are you tired of losing at sports betting? Start winning with Kingpin.pro. With Kingpin.pro, you can follow proven sports bettors and handicappers. Each user is required to put in their picks prior to each game. Kingpin scores and ranks users for total winnings, not units, as well as win percentage. This gives you, the sports better, the ability to follow not just winning cappers, but more importantly, consistent winning cappers. You can easily get instant notifications of picks by downloading the Kingpin.pro iOS or Google Play app. Download the app and register with promo code WAGER. That's promo code WAGER, and you'll get a 10% discount off your purchase. Get pumped, get psyched. It's the Wager Pager podcast with Chris Rogers and Brock Landers. What's up, guys, and welcome back to the Wager Pager Pod, where we talk sports gambling, make picks, and conduct must-hear interviews with some of the sharpest minds in the industry. I'm your host, Chris Rogers. You can follow me on Twitter, at WagerPagerChris, and please follow the pod on IG and Twitter, at the Wager Pager. This is Season 2, Episode 9, recording live from Van Voorst Film Studio here in a rainy and stormy Hoboken, New Jersey. That's right, we're coming to you from our home state of New Jersey that won the battle against the Supreme Court and made the regulation of sports betting all possible. We've got another great show for you guys this week. We have the one and only Whale Capper returning to the show to talk NBA preseason positions, NFL midseason thoughts, and much more. And of course, we got college football week 8 and NFL week 7 picks coming your way. But first, joining me, my co-host, one of the sharpest gamblers I know, my guy with 23 New Jersey betting outs and someone who knows his way around the sports book. Here he is, the king of the derivatives market, Brock Landers. Christie's intros every week, they get more and more involved. The king of derivatives, uh, I don't know. I hit a couple of them in the last couple of weeks, but I don't know about the king. I'm sure there's, there's much smarter and sharper guys out there than that. But uh, I'm doing good, feeling good. Really good week uh, last week for college and NFL. I was very impressed, very happy with the results. Uh... I'm not feeling as good as Brock Osweiler, I'll tell you that much. How about that guy riding off into the sunset with $40 million at the age of 28 and a couple uh, NFL games under his belt? Not too bad, Chris. I, I wish I was Brock Osweiler this week. Yeah, no, another famous Brock in the news. I saw that come across my Twitter feed, and I thought, really, is uh, Brock Osweiler even in the NFL still? <laughs> yeah, hard to believe. I didn't think he was still in, but uh, apparently still in the NFL, and today called it a career, and... Uh, Good for him. Made a lot of money and started in a couple big games and disappointed a lot of people in the process. Well, he's got John Elway to thank for that. Me and uh, Brock were over at FanDuel again on, uh, I think we went Wednesday night last week. Yeah, after, right after the show after we went. After the show, yeah. we, we actually uh, met up with Gabe Morency. Shout out to At Sports Rage. We hope to have him on uh, sometime in the near future. 
Yep, nice guy. Took a couple pictures with us, said hello in between breaks. So, uh, yeah, we'll hope to have him on to uh, pick his brain a little bit for you guys. Uh, Brock was laughing. We were watching the game there, and, uh, you know, we had a couple brews in us, and Brock said he was hungry. I told him I had a half a blimpy in my backpack. <laughs> Yeah, I was going to say, that was that was the only thing on my mind first, was just getting something to eat. We went there kind of late, right? We were there, what, 9.30, 10 o'clock, I think we showed up? And there was, what, one baseball game that was still going on? It was the, uh, oh, it was the Dodgers comeback. Yeah. That guy kept going up to the machine every five minutes. There was a guy there constantly. I mean, typical FanDuel guy. I've seen this guy a hundred times there, too. Older guy, kind of tall, always dressed kind of nice, constantly goes up to that kiosk in-game, and just keeps playing the same thing over and over again. I don't know what he was betting, Chris. He had to be betting Dodgers. Uh, I guess they were up by, what, two runs, I think? He was probably betting them minus two and a half or minus two over and over again. And then the Nats came back, and he was pissed. He looked like he's seen a ghost uh, at the end of the night. But, yeah, he kept going up to that kiosk uh, at least 15 times since we were there, right? It was nuts. It was nuts. What are your thoughts about baseball moving forward? Nats in the World Series. We're waiting the outcome of Houston and New York. Uh, today's game was postponed due to rain here in the New York, New Jersey area. Game four, they got a Tanaka coming up now. It could be good for them with the postponement. Yeah, I think uh, you know it, it is good for the Yanks. Uh, definitely to get another day of, of rest in there, and uh, they're reeling right now. You know they got their backs up against the wall. Uh, they're going to throw Tanaka out there, I believe, on four days rest now. Uh, something he's not too accustomed to, but kind of have to. All hands on deck here. You burned through the bullpen the last couple games, and you know that was that was basically my Achilles heel with his Yankees team. The starting pitching was a question mark. And you're getting to the point where Boone has no problem with pitching these guys out of the pen for one inning, and they, he does it all the time. I mean, you're going to eventually run out of, out of guys to, to throw out there. And it's also the timely hitting. Where's, where's Giancarlo Stanton? He's nowhere to be found. Um, and, you know, the Astros are, are a damn good team. Whether you hate them or not, they're built uh, to win, especially in October. And, then, and I think that's showing right now. Uh, and kudos to the Nats. They got things done. They, they took down the big, mighty Dodgers last week. Uh, the St. Louis Cardinals were arguably the hottest team coming into the playoffs, and they took care of the Braves, who were uh, a team I thought were, that was going to at least show up in the NLCS, and they didn't even make it. Um, and for the Nats to just completely wipe the floor with them, they're going to be tough, Chris. They, they have a really good rotation. I mean, Strasburg, he's been pitching phenomenal. Max Scherzer, uh, Patrick Corbin. Uh, the bullpen was my biggest question mark for the Nats, and they've been really showing up so far. Uh, the bats are you know, getting their timely hits. The Nats are playing really good ball, and you know they've got a lot of good vets on that team. Ryan Zimmerman, Dozier, Kendrick, uh, and the biggest thing is how is Bryce Harper taking all this? I, I could imagine <laughs> he is not a happy camper. I mean, I guess you know you're making all that money, you really probably don't care, but ooh, to leave the team that that you know is going to the World Series says a lot. Yeah. Reminds me of that whole uh, Don Mattingly thing when he retired and then the Yankees went to the World Series the next year. Let's switch gears here talk about that big Monday night football outcome. A lot of uh, betting repercussions on that last play there. Bunch of idiots on Twitter saying, oh, this game's fixed. How could he slide down? I thought it was just an, uh, an example of two great analytical coaches doing exactly what they should be doing. Um, Detroit was obviously trying to let Green Bay score. 
Green Bay saw Detroit was trying to let them score, so then they slid down. You know, it, it was it was actually great to see as a fan of analytics. And you know, it is what it is. The over under was affected. The spread was affected. Detroit money linebackers were hating themselves because of the plays the referees missed, and in, in, in the quarter leading up to that, it was just a crazy game altogether. Yeah, Chris. I mean, primetime game under the lights, everybody watching. And uh, again, the officiating is the one that, that comes out with the, the headline. And uh, I mean, I'll be honest with you. I, I do feel bad for the people that had, you know, the certain sides in the game. Um, but it's also one of those things where that was a missed call. I mean, you know, to, to give the penalty there to Detroit uh, as Rodgers and, and company drives down there. I mean, like you said, you, you could go over that last play where the guy, you know, stopped before the end zone and all that type of stuff. That's just strategy. I mean, you know, it is what it is. And uh, it, it is funny. You go on gambling Twitter and everybody, I was screwed and Vegas knows and this is rigged and this <laughs> Vegas and Vegas knows. Yeah, and it's, you know. That's gambling. That's the NFL. That's why the NFL is the hardest thing to beat. And in a, in a single call, in a single fumble, in a single uh, you know strip sack that goes the other way, the entire point spread changes. It's the hardest thing to beat. The sample size is so small, and the little minute things that can happen in a game can change in the matter of a second, and your bet goes up in flames. That's the NFL. That, that's it. That's the NFL. Yeah, man. People are all up in arms about it, talking about uh, the NFL officiating. You know, it's going to make me not want to watch eventually. these Everyone's going to watch. The numbers for the NFL are going up and up every year, even though a couple years back they said it was going down. I don't know about all that. But anyways, uh, let's switch gears here. We got NBA starting soon. We have five days away from the NBA regular season kickoff. I think it's going to be a very interesting year in the association. It's wide open again. We don't have a super team running things. A lot of action going on in the West. Three major teams in the East. What do you think about the NBA starting? Uh, believe it or not, for the first time in a long time, I'm actually excited to get uh, basketball back here. I was a huge NBA fan growing up, and I feel like the game has switched so much uh, since David Stern left and Silver took over, and the the changes to some of the rules and the way the run and gun has been, you know, winning championships for teams. And you know, I I question the defense. It's crazy that you know the game now. There's no emphasis on centers and stuff like that. But I do think the NBA had a great offseason. I think it's going to be much better for the league. And, Chris, I was talking about it with a couple employees the other day at work. We were kind of just going through a little quick team preview, just who, who's, who's where, who's going there, and, you know, different coaches and this and that. And it was a good shakeup. I feel like it's much needed. The, the league's, you know, product has been so watered down the last couple of years with, like you said, the super team of the Warriors and, you know, LeBron walked his way into the finals every year in the East and stuff like that. There's a lot of different guys in different places, and I think we're going to get some really competitive basketball, or so I hope. I hope that it does bring out a, a little bit more more parity in the league, and, and everybody uh, can definitely have a different style to, to at least watch these games and, and kind of just take in something different than the usual, you know, chuck up three-pointers and, you know, score 200 points and just don't play any defense. So I think it'll be a, a good year for the NBA to, to turn it around and, and get some people, you know, interested in it. Yeah, Brock, looking forward to some hoops action. We got a lot more NBA talk coming up later with our interview with Whale Capper. Let's keep the show moving. Here we go. All right, guys, our interview was proudly brought to you by our presenting sponsor, 902 Brewing Co., 
And I tell you, Brock, I keep going back to this one. I don't know why, if it's my hate for the New England Patriots or my love for this beer, but I am drinking Brady's Nightmare. It's an Imperial Pale Ale, 10% alcohol, 48 IBUs, a New England-style IPA brewed in the Meadowlands. What are you drinking on? Tonight, Chris, I've got the Black Dynamite. It's a Black India Pale Ale, 7% alcohol, 70 IBUs. And, uh, you know, believe it or not, Chris, dark roasted malts team up with a bold hop profile to create this Black India Pale Ale. This is the beer that led to a brewery. Hope you enjoy, and I am 902 Brewing Co. All right, guys, this week's guest is back for his record-tying third appearance on the pod. He's one of our favorite guests to have on the show. He's a professional computer model handicapper. You may know him from his appearances on vSIN or the work he does with Matchbook.com. He's the host of the acclaimed podcast Deep Dive with Andy and the Whale. Here he is, friend of the pod, Whale Capper. You guys can follow Whale on Twitter at Whale underscore Capper. What's up, Whale? Welcome back to the Wager Pager. Hey, thank you guys for having me back. It's pretty cool to be uh, the uh, the record tying uh, guest to- uh, you know, guest appearance here. This is great. Yeah, just uh, just you and Spread Investor three times. Oh, nice. Well, great company. This is huge. Hey, Will. It's Brock Landers here. Uh, looking forward to to getting to uh, ask you some questions here. I've been looking forward to this episode for uh, a week or two now. Um, let's just start off real quick, though, for those listeners out there who may be unfamiliar with you. Tell us a little bit about like your betting style and what it means to be like a computer model type handicapper. Oh, okay, sure thing. So um, I wasn't always this way, for sure. Uh, you know, I started betting when I was in college, and you know, at that time, it was like. I know sports. I know who's going to win. I should be betting this and making money. And uh, of course, you know, you, if, if, if you do well, you think you know it, and then you know that kind of that kind of cap- captures your uh, your spirit and your enthusiasm for sports betting. And that that happened to me out of the gate. And uh, and then it turned out that uh, no, I didn't really know it all. I couldn't bet with my gut. I couldn't just kind of you know you know, gauge the, gauge the right side based on, uh, you know, who I thought was the better team. And, and, um, so I learned the hard way really like you paid tuition for years, uh, you know, just, just, uh, not really understanding, uh, how the market works or how to approach a handicap. And then, um, you kind of clicked like, you know what, like I should be able to take these stats that everyone talks about and combine them in a way that I can project a score and see if that score, you know, if it indicates that there should be value on a given side and, you know, this would be a useful tool to have in my, you know, my tool chest so that I'm not just kind of using my, you know, gut read on these games. And, you know, there's, and, and so then got into, okay, well, how do I go about doing that? And what are some good ways to combine these stats? And, you know, how do I use Excel as a tool to, to do that? Do I need to be more sophisticated than that? And, you know, kind of going through those steps and, and teaching myself like, okay, this is, a, there, there are, there, you know, various other approaches to this besides just kind of looking at a different, you know, looking at a line and, and picking your favorite angle. Um, you know, you can you can absolutely use numbers, use um, projections as uh, as a as a means of kind of keeping yourself out of trouble. And you know what, I, I actually found within like a few weeks even of using models for NFL handicapping is that you know it helped kind of reduce the swings, right? So instead of like you know, when I was just kind of betting with my gut, I would have swings where I'd go, you know, seven in one week and 
you know, two and nine the next week, you know, and, and that can be really tough when you're relatively novice better because the emotional part of it really gets at you. You know, you go seven and one, and you think you know it all and you up your stake size the next week. And, you know, you have a couple of weeks in a row where you do well and you have higher confidence. And so you start betting bigger and, you know, then regression comes for you and you, you know, you give it all back. And, you know, so having a model just to, as a means of kind of keeping me honest and, you know, making sure that there was, I had a good reason for, you know, seeing value on the side was huge. And, uh, it definitely helped me kind of take the next step from just being a recreational player who was, you know, probably destined to be a lifetime loser and, you know, start finding, uh, finding ways to corner markets and, you know, be a sharper player. And the evolution has been, you know, it's been probably a four or five year process. Um, but I definitely feel like I'm at the point now where, uh, I have a good blend of here's how I use my model. Here are the adjustments that I'm going to make that are, you know, not necessarily things that can be easily quantified. Um, and actually <laughs> the more and more, uh, that I do this, I figure out like, even like situational angles and things like that, that I think are important to include in a handicap that I didn't ever think were really quantifiable. Like you can come up with ways, uh, to test theories and see what the impact is on team performance and apply that directly as a number, as opposed to just, you know, sort of, you know, guessing or throwing darts. And, uh, and so that's kind of the next step here as I kind of move forward and continue to refine the uh, analytical part of what I do in the handicapping. That's awesome. I love hearing how people, uh, you know, kind of just further their own. They go from being a novice better to let me learn more and let me add this to the toolbox and let me do this. And I tell people that all the time. Everyone that starts out betting, they just want to start right away and learn everything at once. And like you said, I think that's perfect. A four to five year curve at least to kind of learn, you know, the ins and outs of, you know, a week to week basis on what it's like betting almost every season. Uh, Do you, you agree? Without a doubt. And, I, you know, the, you, I think you, it, it's really, you have to keep learning. I, I don't think you can ever let yourself think that you've figured it all out. Um, you start getting stale at that point, the market catches up to you. And then if you are, if you aren't, you know, continuing to sharpen your tools uh, and the market catches you up from behind, uh, that's, I think, very dangerous for a sharper player who's betting larger stakes because, uh, you're not going to see it coming. <laughs> and, uh, the, next, the next thing you know, you're dumping a bankroll and it's six figures instead of four. And you're like, what oh, the yeah. hell have I done? <laughs> so yeah, I think, I think you have to continue to keep, uh, keep learning and keep sharpening and, you know, make sure that you're always, you know, trying to improve your, your approach and your craft. Absolutely. And uh, just to get back real quick, you said you started betting in college. Where'd you go to college? Uh, so I was a Duke University Blue Devil. Oh, nice! Uh, and um, I never knew that well. Yeah. So yeah, this is uh, this was back in in uh, the early two thousands. And uh, so you're you know, Blue that, Devil well. Yeah, and uh, I so I and I grew up in the Boston area. And so this kind of goes in hand in hand with my like survivorship bias story uh, because I happen to be a you know, a Duke basketball fan and a Patriots fan and a Red Sox fan and, you know, Celtics fan and all that through the years that they had, you know, just wild, outrageous success. And, you know, I would put futures bets on the teams that I liked because I didn't know any better. And, you know, it just happened to be that, you know, they had success in that window. Uh, you know, first, first year betting, I bet on the Patriots win the Super Bowl and they went on and beat the Rams uh, in that uh, huge, humongous upset. And, 
uh, you know, I was like, you know, yeah, I'm a college kid. I was like, I'll finally have enough money to, you know, go on spring break here. This is awesome. <laughs> and I thought that was always how it was. Uh, and then, uh, sure enough, uh, learned the hard way that it's not always, it's not always winning. Still though, you must've cashed a couple. I mean, a lot of titles in that range of 2000 to 2010 in Boston. Yeah, it was uh, it was pretty. I think a net positive for sure. Oh, absolutely, with that, without a doubt. And yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, the, the 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 even the Patriots, uh, you know, kind of approaching them as sort of a given that they would win the East, and you know, kind of put away a little bit of you know, sock away a little bit of money trying to buy low after they had you know the, the traditional trajectory of the Patriots was they struggle a little bit out of the gate and they kind of figure it out after their you know their first four weeks, and you could buy low on them at that point and. You know that that you know if you if you're just buying AFC title Patriots titles you know through the years uh, you know those were cashing out a absolutely stupid clip. Um, nowadays you can't do that because especially this year because the way that they've gotten off to a start, there's no buy low spot for them. Uh, but uh, I'm not 100 percent sure that uh, we don't see a little regression in the playoffs this year from old uh, touchdown Tommy who looks to be getting a little long in the tooth here. Yeah, well, well, uh, Brock is an, uh, another fellow New England fan over here, so let's not just start jerking each other off yet. Let's not forget <laughs> about uh, Super Bowls 42 and 46 over here, spoken like a uh, true Giants fan. But uh, moving forward here, what are your best sports? I know you're a big NFL guy, obviously NBA, but uh, tell the listeners what's your other big sport. Yeah, so when I, when I got started, it was, uh, it was almost all NFL. Uh, but the problem is the NFL is number, it's a small sample size. There's not there's not a you know there's only 17 regular season weeks and you know a few playoff weeks and there's a whole huge long off season. And I dabbled in college basketball. That was never never really got got super into that. Uh, never could find an edge in baseball. Um, got in you know got into tennis, which was was a pretty nice handicap. And then about let's say about four years ago, I started watching the NBA more. Kind of coincident with the rise of the you know the Warriors and Steph Curry, who was kind of changing the game. I was thinking like, okay, I can see that there's a change going on in the game. I bet you if I get involved now and I start doing some you know some modeling and try to capture an edge in NBA, I bet you because the game is changing, I might be able to find something. And that took a, that took years. Like I I I bet. NBA for a couple of seasons and just lost and lost and lost. It was super, super tough, tough emotionally, tough mentally, um, especially because like it's always around the holidays and you're like, like, like the first year I was doing it, I was modeling it using a fish, you know, team level efficiency stats and I had great success in November. And then December, it was just nothing went right. I was like, oh my gosh, do I just start fading this model? Like what is happening here? And like, you know, bottomed out like around Christmas and I was just a grump around my family, Christmas, New Year's, it was horrible. Uh, and then uh, kind of over the kind of seasons, continue to grind, continue to ch- test different methodologies, continue to try to find you know, angles that made sense. Uh, and eventually it got to the point where I can sustain, you know, sustain winning in the NBA, which is super exciting because it's a long season. There's lots of games. Uh, and, uh, over the last couple of seasons during the regular season, I've pulled a profit last season, probably my best ever is, uh, I ended up, I think up 40 units over the course of the NBA season, um, betting sides and totals pregame, which was pretty exciting. So, uh, really looking forward good. to carrying that <laughs> success into 2019, 2020. Wow, yeah, NBA. It is a super long season from mid-October to mid-June. It's like an eight-month, uh, eight-month-long season. I remember uh, you were doing those NBA fatigue charts last year. Do you plan on doing that again? 
I did a little bit of back testing on that in the off season, thinking like I had come across like a pot of gold, like, oh, I've unlocked the secret here. <laughs> like, this is so great. I can just start printing money. Uh, and I back tested it for 2018, 2017, 2016, 2015. And it was basically noise. And I think so. Ba- so more or less, I think I got pretty darn lucky last year that that happened to be actionable. Um, I'll continue to study that. Um, although I'm not super optimistic just based on the way it's gone in, in previous years. And even beyond that, I'm nervous that the teams themselves are onto this angle. Um, there's been a couple of studies and a couple of published papers and a couple of, uh, you know, pretty widely shared articles. I think on ESPN, even a guy did like a pretty long, you know, long form piece where they were basically like, Data's coming in and, uh, you know, travel and, and schedule and rest is like a first order influence on player level performance. And, you know, as soon as the teams start to incorporate that information and change their approach, then it's going to be totally wiped out. So I'll, uh, I'll still be able to kind of find some, you know, some edges and some angles to bet the NBA this season, I'm sure. But uh, I'm not super um, optimistic that that's going to be one of them this year. Very fascinating stuff, as usual, guys, from Whale Capper. You can follow him on Twitter, at Whale underscore Capper. Uh, before we move on to the NFL, a couple more NBA questions here. I know a lot of people do um, a lot of live in-game betting with the NBA. Do you have any action on uh, live in-game betting in the NBA or in general? How much live betting do you do? Jeez. Live betting in the NBA is a very, very, um, it's, it's, in my opinion, it's very profitable. You can find a niche if you are just kind of if you're just kind of getting into sports betting and you're like you think you're gonna just go out there and beat sides and totals in major efficient markets like the NFL or the NBA or college basketball even I mean you know I'll say mainstream college basketball like if you if you I would say anyone who's relatively new to this like get involved in like the prop market get involved in like a smaller um, you know smaller conference you know college basketball things like that where you can. You know, you can specialize, you can, you know, you can know more than, uh, than the other players in the market. Like that's possible, right? Like, and, 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 uh, live betting in the NBA, I think plays exactly into that as well. Um, the major differentiating factors for NBA live betting are coaching tendencies, um, when they're rotating stars on and off the court, uh, how that changes, um, the pace of play of the team, the offensive and defensive efficiency, like the makeup of the five guys on the court uh, at any given time is, you know, it can be wildly different on a, on the same team. Um, you know, classic angle back in the day was uh, when Russell Westbrook and, um, and Kevin Durant were on the Thunder together. Like they had, I think it was Scotty Brooks was their coach, and he was like notoriously poor at rotating them so that one of the two stars was on the floor at the same time. And so all you had to do is sit there and watch them just, you know, blow down doors for the first nine minutes of the first quarter, wait and wait and wait. Scotty Brooks would, um, you know, take his two stars off. And then the scrubs from the bench would just get their brains beat in for five minutes. And so if you can kind of like identify micro tendencies of coaches who are doing, you know, weird things with their rotation like that, you would know exactly, okay, we're going to bet on Oklahoma city first quarter. We're going to wait until they have an eight point lead. And then as soon as they swap, you know, take those two guys to the bench, we're going to, uh, you know, we're going to buy on the other side. And what, what you, you, you eventually learn is that, you know, the, the algorithms that are supporting, 
you know, the live numbers and totals, they're mostly based on just, okay, what was the pregame spread in total? And, you know, what is the game state? You know, there's, if you're, if you have some sense of, okay, uh, um, you know, a rotation is coming up where stars are coming off and you are prepared to, you know, take action on that before the, you know, before the software or the algorithm knows that, um, then you can, you know, absolutely capture some pretty massive edges in the NBA. Uh, the trick is just to kind of be responsible about bankroll size because if you're making five, six, seven, eight plays on a given game, like your volume can get really, really high, really fast. Uh, and in the first year that I was betting NBA pretty regularly, I, I figured this, you know, a couple of, you know, good live angles out and I would be watching games live and looking for spots to enter and exit and things like that. And, you know, it, 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 it was, it was lucrative. It was profitable. And then all of a sudden, like there would, a game would come along where I had an opinion on whether it was going to be high scoring or low scoring. Uh, I had some, you know, angle going into the game that I thought was very strong. And then you see it, playing out in the game opposite to your opinion and you're like it's going to come back it's going to come you know scoring's going to slow down scoring's going to slow down this is good yeah and then the next thing you know you've got you know five or ten x your stake on a given side or total you know based on some pregame you know expectation that is now completely invalid uh and you lose one or two of those and you can kind of wipe out like two or three weeks of hard work and that's tough to deal with kind of going on tilt in that sense. So uh, that's probably the only thing to look out for and be careful of if you get into uh, live betting. So, uh, well, we know that you're a big numbers guy. And, uh, you know, when it comes to getting to the window, there's a lot of different handicappers. There's guys that look at just numbers. There's guys that look at situational stats. There are guys that just play the market. Um, how do you factor all that stuff into what you do? Do you ignore some of it? Do you stick to some of your stuff? How do you, how do you, you know, basically use all of it to your advantage or disadvantage? Ooh, you almost certainly have to use a hybrid approach, in my opinion. Um, if you are strictly a numbers guy, for instance, and you're betting into the soft market where there's not a lot of information, like basically like if you're betting to opening numbers, something like that, um, you can do fine. You can do well. You can make a living on that. I know there are people in the space who do. Um, but uh, at the same time, uh, you're, you know, there, there are things that are, you know, that are, that are not incorporated, that you can never really capture all of it quantitatively that you should, in my opinion, use in your handicap. And if you're not betting into openers, if you're trying to get a little bit bigger bets down with limits come up, if, if you're waiting until numbers start to get shaped by the market a little bit, um, then you almost have to have some actionable angles that are difficult to, um, you know, difficult to hundred percent quantify. Um, and situational factors are obviously one of those, um, you know, without a doubt in the NFL, there are motivational angles that you have to consider. People really are really, the quantitative folks really try to shy away from that because it's so speculative. Um, but almost certainly, you know, on any given Sunday, motivations are not created equally. Some teams absolutely are fighting their, you know, for their season and other teams have packed it in or other teams think they have an easy win. Uh, and so if you can kind of figure out the right way to incorporate that in terms of, you know, upgrading or downgrading expected performance, then you can sometimes find an edge. So um, I think you absolutely have to consider all of those things. And, um, you know, and, and even, um, 
you know, for the NFL, for a sport that's so publicly bet, um, you have to know what's going on with the market. You have to look, you have to know, you know, is this number going up or down? You know, is this getting longer or shorter? Uh, am I better off betting an hour waiting till closer to kickoff? Or, you know, if it's, you know, if it's going against the direction, I think why, you know, what are the major factors? What are the reasons? Am, am I making a bad bet? Um, and you know, the, the, the better you understand your marketplace, the better you understand who's betting into it and why. Um, and in some cases, if it's public volume, uh, that's moving a given number, um, you know, understanding why that's happening, you know, like, is it, is it informed or is it uninformed? Uh, and then using that as an advantage to say, okay, well, there's an uninformed public volume, you know, move happening here. I'm going to be on the other side of that. You know, sometimes that's how, you know, the, the bookmakers themselves are positioning themselves to be, you know, profitable on some of these games. So I think um, you have to use a blended approach because no one, you know, quantitative edge is going to last forever. And no, you know, and, and sometimes some games you're, you're going to need other differentiating factors to find that edge. Excellent answer, Will. And just to give you a follow-up there, you mentioned kind of betting early when the when the market's open. I'll tell you from experience betting NBA, I've gotten killed betting early because of the injuries that happened so late. I don't <laughs> oh, know how yeah, you can get down sure. with that and, and get take advantage for of that sure. in the NBA. <laughs> for yeah, for sure. I, I'll tell you a specific story. The second year I was modeling, like the um, it got to the point where it it, it, it drove me crazy. Uh, I was betting early. I had edges. I had numerical edges, and I was like, "This line is off by three points." I know it is off and it, this is the right side. And I would bet into it early. And then sure enough, like an hour before game time, Oh, Kawhi Leonard's out. And it's like, okay, this is nonsense. Like obviously someone was on the other side and knew that information and I didn't. Right. And so if you're taking action in those, you know, in, in, in markets like the NBA, which are so heavily influenced by informational aspects and you don't have the information, then you're playing at an enormous disadvantage. So, you know, my general approach and, you know, what I forced myself to do for MBA was bet as late as possible. Like let, let the market absorb the information of who's in, who's out. Um, you do your own thing. And then, you know, you can sometimes identify, you know, spots where it's overreacted. Uh, or it's, you know, it's, it's adjusted appropriately. Um, and, you know, and it, it's, it's less, you have your bets, your volume goes down. You're not necessarily, you know, capturing every edge by being ahead of those sort of things. Um, but it certainly keeps you out of trouble because, you know, if you, if your edge is entirely synthetic because you didn't know that some guy wasn't going to play and the other players in the market did know that, then, um, you know, that, that will, uh, that will that will drive you up a wall. Whale Capper dropping some NBA Denver Nuggets as usual. You guys can follow Whale Capper on Twitter <laughs> at Whale underscore Capper. This is a perfect segue. Love the Nuggets. Yeah, dude, they look they're <laughs> juicy this year. Um, this is a perfect segue here into some NBA talk. Let's talk a little futures. Um, who you like coming out of the East? Who do you like coming out of the West? Who do you like to win it all? Maybe some MVP lines you're looking at and Rookie of the Year stuff. Okay, so um, the NBA is okay. So in general, it's a long season, just like you said it off the top, right? Like this is this goes until June, uh, which means that uh, if you're getting involved in preseason, um, you know preseason plays. 
they better be high confidence because you're locking away bankroll that you could otherwise be using on game to game betting. And, you know, that sort of thing compounds if you do have an edge and if you are, you know, if you are winning in the regular season. So in general, I don't do a ton of preseason play. Uh, and when I hit the futures market, my philosophy is entirely surrounded that is entirely based on is this price going to get shorter between now and April 15th? Right. That's the only thing I care about when I'm betting a futures price. And for this particular season, there are bettable angles in the futures market, in my opinion, specifically on the Jazz and the Nuggets. And granted, I bet into these numbers a while ago, and they've gotten a lot shorter, but I think there is still value in them um, because the top of the market is completely wiped out by – uh, by Lakers and Clippers money. And I got to tell you, not only do they have, you know, especially tough stretches early in the season, but both teams are going to be dealing with kind of number one, figuring themselves out. Who do we have? Whose role is what? Uh, you know, how are we managing the, you know, the load for these players? Because, uh, you know, both are relatively top heavy. I mean, we, we know for sure that there's going to be load management with Kawhi Leonard. Um, Paul George is coming off of two shoulder surgeries. We'll, we'll see if he's, the player he was last season, but you know, any time before, say the All Star break, uh, and then uh, on the on the side of the Lakers, you know, they are counting on, you know, LeBron James, who was riddled with injury concerns last year, and Anthony Davis, who's an injury risk the entire career to this point, uh, and the likelihood that they're going to go wire to wire as favorites in the NBA, I think, is really, really unlikely. Um, which means that anyone else is, has value in the champions market or the Western Conference market. And I think the two that really stick out the most are the Jazz and the Nuggets, not just because they have outstanding home court advantage just built in with the altitude, but they happen to have relatively soft schedules out of the gate. Um, Jazz have one of the easier stretches from, you know, from game one to game 36. Uh, and I wouldn't be surprised at all if we're talking about them around New Year's as, wow, this is your one seed in the Western Conference. They're, you know, they're, 25 and five through 30 games or something like that. Uh, similarly, the Nuggets have a very complete roster, a very deep bench, uh, and uh, and a schedule that affords them some opportunity to gain a little bit on the rest of the West. So I think your two teams in the in the Rockies Mountains there are uh, are worth strong considerations in the futures market before the season starts because I think once April rolls around, you'll want to be able to to take some swings on the LA teams who have the better you know, composed rosters for actually winning in the playoffs, but uh, likely will be doing so from lower seated spots in the in the uh, Western Conference. All right, guys, you heard it directly from the whale's mouth. We'll be looking at the Nuggets uh, out here in New Jersey, sitting at plus twelve to one, and the Utah Jazz sitting at eight to one. Um, while we're talking futures, before we move on to something else, well, let me ask you about something I'm looking at here in the player futures market. Ben Simmons, seventy to one to win NBA MVP. Seventy to one. Oh, it just switched yeah. right now. As I said it live, live. I'm on DraftKings. It just switched to fifty to one. Are they listening to us? I <laughs> well, swear to God, fifty to one. You're starting to get to a fair price, but seventy to one is crazy. It was a hundred to one for a lot of the summer and and fall here. I I really don't know that I can recall a time where I've seen a worse price in an MVP market like this. And there are reasons to be skeptical, obviously. Like there's a very strong likelihood that he's not even the alpha on this team. And if that's the case, then, you know, the, the voters aren't going to reward him an MVP if, you know, if, if this is perceived as Embiid's team, right? That said, 
Embiid is going to be on heavy-duty load management. I don't think they can afford to play him more than 60 games this season without risking his effectiveness in the playoffs. And, you know, the Sixers are playing for a championship this year. They're not necessarily playing to, you know, get, uh, you know, 60 wins in the East, although I think that's achievable for them. Um, they have, you know, they have some incentive to, to really give Embiid uh, a pretty good break to try to have him available for that Eastern Conference Finals against the Milwaukee Bucks. I don't think there's really a ton of uh, real... I don't think there are many um, ways that this Eastern Conference shakes out that it's not Bucks sixers in the Eastern Conference Finals. Um, there's a small, teeny, tiny, teeny, tiny chance that the... Um, that the Celtics monkey this up by getting the one seed just by, you know, winning by playing up through the regular season and being regular season darlings and getting like the 60 wins. Um, but I think almost certainly you're talking about your one seed Sixers, two seed bucks playing for the Eastern conference titles. And you're going to need MB to be 100% in that series in order to get to the, your first ever, you know, your first finals with this core that said, Simmons can carry the load. We've seen it in recent years, you know, two years ago when he went on his rookie of the year campaign, like down the stretch over the last 20 games, he did it all. And if you have the situation where, you know, Embiid misses a significant amount of time with either a specific acute injury or just a general load management, you know, type of approach, I think you could see Simmons really blossom and shine and kind of take control of leadership of the team in that time. And uh, if he's the guy and they are the one seed in the East and winning 60 games, then, uh, you know, he is probably one of about five players that has a reasonable chance of even winning it. Uh, and so the, the fact that he would be in the 50 to one, 70 to one, 100 to one range is kind of insane to me. Um, and you know, he's got nothing but upside really. Dude, well, I couldn't agree more, man. I can't believe I'm waiting all day to ask you about this 70 to one. And literally <laughs> the moment I ask you, it changes on my screen before my eyes. I bet you, if you shop around, there's still some better numbers in there. I mean, you guys yeah. have access to a lot of legal books now in New Jersey. I bet you there's some other ones out there, but, uh, but I, even at 50 to one, it's still valuable. I, I mean, that, like to win the MVP, that you have to almost certainly, you have to be a one or two seed in your conference. And I, I, you know, the way I see this shaking out, you're probably talking about Utah and Denver in the West. You're talking about Milwaukee and Philly in the East. I don't see anyone on Utah that has the capability of compiling offensive statistics that's, you know, that will be compelling enough to warrant MVP consideration. Uh, Denver, you really only have one player in Nikola Jokic, but even even he is, you know, a good candidate for someone that I wouldn't expect to play 82 games this season because you're going to need him to carry your load and in you know, in April, May, June. So it's, it's really Giannis, <laughs> Embiid and Simmons and, you know, Giannis, they just gave him the MVP last year, the likelihood that he equals or betters his statistics from last year, I think is pretty small. Um, I don't think they can, again, I, I don't think they ought to be playing him as much as they played him last year on the, on the quest to get that MVP in the one seed. So, you know, I think it, it, it almost makes too much sense to, to look for Simmons as kind of the obvious guy who is going to be the beneficiary of being on a winning team and being the perceived leader if anything happens to him. So it's a good look. 
Excellent stuff there, guys, about the MVP uh, discussion there. And crazy that the odds just switched as you were looking at it, Chris. Um, well, we we try to, to, to cater to like uh, the novice bettors here in New Jersey that are just starting out and stuff like that and try to give them as much knowledge as possible. With the NBA season coming up, uh, what do you recommend for someone just starting? I mean, I know NBA sides are super tough to beat long term for a season. Uh, do you recommend someone going more totals, more props? Any any insight you can give to a young better out there listening? Yeah, that's uh, the the props or the live or the second half angles would be the right way to start at betting NBA, in my opinion, um, because. They're, they are less efficient markets and because you are going to have lo- less likelihood of being on the wrong side of information that insiders know and that you don't. Um, and because that's absolutely a thing and it, it keeps a lot of people from betting NBA period. Um, and you know, the, I thought that the NBA was going to do a better job of trying to disseminate that information to the public in a timely way. Um, but, they didn't really. <laughs> they made a rule. Yeah, we'll make it all knowledgeable an hour before tip. But that's not really enough to to beat uh, the fact that you know people who have connections. Because you know, believe me, the professionals who are 100% informational betters in the NBA, they've got connections to the ball boys, the water boys, the the towel guy, the you know the one the guy who does the laundry of the uniforms. They know when guys are not practicing in the you know they know when guys have a reduced load in the shoot around in the morning before a game and that they're going to get the night off. Um, you know they there's pretty there's pretty wide network of information that people have that will that will that you won't basically. Uh, so finding some other way to get started is is a, something that makes a ton of sense to me. And the player prop market is pretty solid in my opinion because number one. A lot of people who are relatively novice betters at least have some experience playing fantasy. Uh, so you have some concept of trying to wrap your head around, well, how many yards and how many, you know, are, you know, in football at least, or how many, you know, how many shots is my guy going to get? Is he going to, is he featured in the offense right now? Is he expected to, you know, carry the load while this other guy is injured? Um, you know, and, and what type of matchup is he going to have defensively versus this team tonight? And we could expect him to go over under a given point total. And I, I guess I would just say, if you're getting started, start in the prop market, use what information is out there in the fantasy space and bet unders. Very, very good advice there from Whale Capper. And Chris got to ask you his specialized NBA question before he uh, heads into the NFL here, I believe, on the next segment with you. Um, so I'm going to ask you my one NBA question. I'm a lifelong Dallas Mavericks fan, believe it or not. And uh, I want to know what you think of uh, Porzingis this year, teaming up with Doncic, no more Dirk. Uh, what do you? What's the outlook for the Dallas Mavs from what you think? I think they are very live for a playoff spot here. Um, people are kind of, kind have kind of wrapped their head around their eight teams buying for playoff spots in the West, which with eight slots means if you're not one of those eight, then you're on the outside looking at. Um, but I think that the I, I don't see it that way personally. I think that there will be some turnover at the bottom of the uh, uh, of the Western Conference playoff seating. Um, and the Mavericks are very much in the conversation if they can find some chemistry between Doncic and Porzingis. I think Porzingis 
would I would expect him to kind of get to his peak performance around January, February. I don't think out of the gate we're going to see him getting his full complement of minutes, and I don't uh, 100% know um, you know how the transition from Luca focused offensively to a shared um, kind of offensive load will will work out because I mean Rick Carlisle I have a ton of respect for as a coach and I think he will figure it out but I wouldn't expect them necessarily to have it figured out in, in November December time frame it's going to take a little bit of experimentation it's going to take uh, a little bit of trial and error before they do figure it out and they do have a relatively lean bench um, although I love their aggressiveness in the trade market, I love the likelihood that they go out and make a deal and bring in a third uh, relatively you know, important player because there are some teams that are pretty clearly going to be sellers uh, around the middle of the season when we should see the Dallas Mavericks kind of come together. So if the, if the Mavericks can lean on, you know, if the Mavericks really, if they can avoid a, a sophomore slump from Doncic, then they're, then they're live to get to 40 wins and, uh, and, and beyond. And I think that's, it's going to take probably 46 wins to get the eighth seed in the West. Uh, and if they make a deal, um, by the trade deadline for kind of like a wing defender type, like a Robert Covington type, then, uh, I would expect that uh, that they compete for that playoff spot, and that's what you need. Like that should be your goal if you're a Mavericks fan this year. You should be like, let's continue the development of our young core. Let's get to the playoffs. Let's get these guys some reps so that next season we can, you know, add a couple of vets and then really make a run at this. All right, well, before we move on to some NFL questions here, you mentioned uh, the Dallas Mavericks were hovering around 46 wins. Are there any other win totals you're looking at? I'm pretty down on the Wizards. <laughs> the Wizards are a team that has one superstar in Bradley Beal, but I would expect that there is somewhere in the 50 to 75% likelihood that he gets traded to a contender this year. Um, really? Beal and beyond Beal, is, this is a team that is like G League roster the way that I look at them top to bottom. Uh, so if they if they move Beal, this is going to be a problem. They're going to be positioning themselves for a draft choice, not uh, not competing for 25 wins. I think their win total is about 26 and a half. Uh, and that seems to me to be pretty optimistic and not necessarily factoring in appropriately the likelihood that Beal gets moved. Um, and I don't think we're going to see Wall this year for the Wizards. Um, if I wanted to be a little bit more optimistic with one of the bad teams in the East, I I think the Bobcats are being a little bit overlooked as far as wins go. I know that they have lost uh, Kemba Walker and that they brought in Scary Terry, uh, and that's a downgrade, clearly. But uh, to expect them to go from you know 39 wins down to 23 is kind of nuts to me. I mean, I don't see necessarily a, a you know 16 win or 13 win delta uh, there on the basis of one player and. I think that they have a lot of, you know, relatively, you know, like actual, you know, competent league players on the, on the roster. And while no, I don't think they're going to be at all in the conversation for a playoff spot. Um, you know, they're going to beat some of the younger teams who don't have proven NBA players. So, and, you know, in, in exactly the opposite way that we were talking about the um, likelihood that Beal gets dealt um, these guys on the pop coming I mean, on the Charlotte Hornets, these guys on the Hornets have such uh, bad contracts that uh, they're stuck there. <laughs> and so 
I don't think that uh, you're going to see, you know, a, a fire sale of, of, you know, a bottoming out of this franchise this season. And I would look for over 23 and a half wins for the Charlotte Hornets. All right, well, switching gears here to uh, your other major sport, we're uh, pretty much at NFL midseason. I know it's week seven, but uh, I think we had you on last year around midseason, so it's an, becoming an annual thing. Before we get into some NFL talk, I got to ask you about the horrible officiating. Is it hurting the game? Does it make you not want to bet? For part one, yes. Part two, no. <laughs> I don't think. I, I mean, honestly, if you took betting away from the NFL, I don't know that I would watch. <laughs> this is a. Uh, it's kind of they've they've really done. A, they've made it very 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 tough. Uh, to have any interest in or any enjoyment in the sport itself um, based on just the quality of the product and the way that the broadcast is. I mean, there's a lot of primetime broadcasts that I just have to listen to on mute because I can't take the commentary. It's just nonsense. Uh, And then on top of that, to have games decided in a way that feels unfair um, in, you know, and then the, this Monday night, this Monday night standalone game, is probably the best example we've had all season. Um, those calls were so lopsided, uh, and you know, really, it felt like the the better team was, um, you know, was the Lions, and they ended up with not even getting a chance to have the ball back based on a very questionable call at the end there. Um, and even beyond that, the you know the the Rams go to the Super Bowl last year wrongfully, uh, and they institute this pass interference. Uh, review change that it felt like they didn't even really, you know, felt like nobody really wanted to in, to um, make this change, but they did it anyway. And now the officials are kind of exerting their, you know, their uh, say about this. No, we're not going to overturn these calls. These judgment calls, our calls are right. You know, this feels like a power play by the officiating, uh, you know, union. And it's a mess. I, I don't know that there's a good answer for this. I don't think that it's like, in major league baseball where you can just clamor for robot umps like so many of these you know they've they've made the role of the uh referee in the nfl so judge judgment based uh and they have whether people want to realize or recognize or not they've had a lot of turnover of officials and in especially lead officials over the last handful of years a lot of new referees out there, a lot of familiar faces with experience and, you know, guys who could navigate the muddy water of all of these new rules are no longer, you know, no longer officials. And, you know, these guys are balancing real life jobs and, you know, they, this is a passion for them. They're, you know, and I don't know that uh, even making, you know, referees full time and giving them better salary and benefits solves the problem because they continue to tweak the rules in a way that, you know, is they're trying to make the game entertaining because they want, you know, they want the broadcast rights and the commercials and they're, you know, the league office is guaranteed these revenue targets to the owners that are probably unattainable. Um, less and less people are willing to spend their Sundays going to the games as opposed to watching from home. So they're losing revenue at the stadiums themselves. There's, there are a lot of issues really from top to bottom at the NFL right now. And, you know, consider me one among the many who is willing to give uh, the current leadership a vote of no confidence. 
Guys, you're listening to Whale Capper. You can follow him on Twitter at Whale underscore Capper. And we're doing a little bit of a mid-season NFL check-in here. Uh, so, Whale, tell me, um, things you got right preseason, things you got wrong, any surprises right now when we're sitting here halfway through the season? Best we got right was Ravens in the north. Um, we were av- advocating for that pretty hard uh, all throughout the offseason at some pretty – pretty excellent numbers i've got some 400s and some uh three plus 400s plus 350s in my queue that i'm pretty excited about because we've just seen you know i obviously got a little bit lucky with the injury to roethlisberger um and the fact that uh they haven't been able to squeak out any any of these wins in his absence they're what two and four Steelers, and uh you know we we expected that the, there was going to be a tough learning curve for the browns and while by no means is it a done deal for the ravens they have a long way to go i think uh the reasons we were optimistic about that team were all you know kind of um you know proven out to be you know rational and reasonable and correct so um still keeping an eye on the browns just because they have such an easy schedule down the stretch and they still have five games within division so they somewhat control their own destiny um but i think uh that position on the ravens was pretty solid and then uh we advocated for the niners as well to win the nfc west and that was pretty exciting we were um you know, we were not the only people who were out there kind of predicting a Super Bowl hangover for the Rams. And granted, the Rams continue to go all in, expect thinking that they have a roster that can compete in the NFC right now. I don't personally, but they do. Um, and yeah, I think uh, I think the Niners have positioned themselves very well uh, to take that division, and that's pretty exciting. Um, the biggest miss, and this is like turning into just an absolute black swan. Because as we sit here today and record this, I think that the favorites for the NFC are rightfully the New Orleans Saints. Um, We were ice cold on them um, on the basis of the fact that Drew Brees looked like he had kind of a dead shoulder uh, towards the end of last season. He was throwing, you know, we saw the same kind of degradation from him from week game one to game 16, three years in a row. It got more and more severe. It cost them uh, you know, cost them their cover against the Eagles and their win against the Rams last year in the playoffs, in my opinion, the fact that he really could not target down the field accurately because his arm was so tired. And what I saw from him in the preseason, the handful of snaps that he took in gameplay and, and all of the videos that were available from their training camp, it made it seem like his arm was still dead. His arm was shoulder was still tired. And sure enough, his depth of target in that game one against the uh, Texans was you know, on average, like five, six yards. So he really was not pushing the ball down the field because of his arm. And uh, the fact that he has gotten this thumb injury and that Teddy Bridgewater has put together this series of kind of coin flip improbable wins has been like an absolute, you know, the worst case scenario for any under positions on the Saints because now Drew Brees is getting rest. He's getting the ability to kind of let his shoulder kind of come back to uh, to be peak form. And, you know, when it comes to the playoffs, he's going to have had way fewer miles on his shoulder than he has in years past and potentially be a heck of a lot sharper. So I think, uh, you know, if, if from a, from the standpoint of, yeah, we had a good read, Drew Brees, you know, was going to be ground to a pulp over the course of this regular season just through 
you know, attrition. Um, the fact that he had this thumb injury, which at first I was getting, you know, I was getting congratulatory texts and messages like great call on the saints. You know, they're golden. Now here comes Teddy Bridgewater, a guy that doesn't <laughs> fit in their system. They're going to go three and three while breeze is gone. Well, they might go six and oh, so it's, it's really, uh, it's really turned it on its head for the, for the saints. And if I had to say, so right now, I would think that, uh, they are probably still a little bit underpriced for how, uh, likely they are to get the one seed, get a you know get a buy, and uh, host the NFC title game again. And with a uh, a less worn down Drew Brees, I think uh, they are your they ought to be uh, a proverbial heavy favorite in the NFC right now. Very nice. That actually segued into my next question. I mean, uh, you know, a lot of people put in futures for these season win totals, and where you could be somebody like me who had, uh, you know, the Indianapolis Colts and Andrew Luck retires, and you're sitting there with a future ticket still pending, which looks all right, I guess, with Jacoby Brissett. But anything you recommend right now for someone to play, maybe looking to get in on a future right before halfway season uh, starts next week? It is tough out there. It is tough to find value. Um, the only thing that, and this is kind of crazy, uh, the only thing that I, the only division you can really try to attack, in my opinion, is the um, NFC North, and it's the hardest <laughs> by far. I don't think I, there's, in no way, there's no one, no, you know, Patriots are winning that outright. Uh, the uh, Chiefs are going to run away with the West once they, as they get healthy. Uh, I think the Ravens are still a solid call in the uh, in the AFC North. Um, I am like you, and I have Colts uh, liability for the AFC South, and this is a big game for them this week. Really hoping they can uh, pull off a victory over Bill O'Brien and company, and, and put a little pressure on that division because. Um, it's, I did not think that they had this in them, and if they can eke out a win, and I would be very, very relieved. Um, the NFC West, I do think the the Niners should be the the rightful favorites. I know the people are high on the the Seahawks because of the playoff Russell Wilson lately, but um, but I'm I think their defense is very pro- their defense in their run game is super problematic. They can't put away games. Uh, they can't uh, they can't get off the field. Uh, and so, you know, they're, they're giving up points and just gobs and, uh, that's not going to help them when they get up against some of their tougher competition coming up on the schedule here. And, and, uh, same prices that we saw in the open for Philly and Dallas. I think Philly's the right look there, but, uh, that's still, you know, they still have so many injury issues. It's not a very high confidence look. Um, I mentioned the Saints ought to be favored to win the NFC South. And so really that just leaves us with the NFC North. And that is the hardest handicap by far because clearly the Packers have the lead, but they've done it on the back of three somewhat sketchy wins at home in division, right? So they beat the Bears, Lions, and Vikings all with kind of, uh, you know, the Lions obviously super questionable win, and then the Bears and Vikings wins were, uh, you know, thanks to some late, game picks that uh, kept their opponents off the board um, and they've played a lot of their home games usually the Packers have a you know kind of a built-in advantage with teams coming to play outdoors in the brutal cold in Lambeau Field in December uh, that's not really the case this year they don't play any and you know any soft home opponents where they can uh, pad their win total late in the season they're going to have to go toe-to-toe with everyone in the north and I think they are 
uh, you know, they may get a playoff spot. They may qualify as a wild card, but I think someone else has taken that North. So I think the North is really where you want to attack. I don't think you can count on the bears to make a comeback here because I think Trubisky has way too many questions surrounding him. And clearly the coaching staff and the organization there does not, has not bought in on Trubisky. Uh, and so that leaves your, uh, your Vikings and your lions. And, um, between those two, I think your better coach is on the Vikings, your better staff is the Vikings, but your better quarterback is Matt Stafford right now. Um, I had completely underestimated Stafford's ability to play in today's NFL as we came into the season, um, and he has been spectacular. He has been better than advertised, and if you know, if the like, if the Vikings, I mean, yeah, sorry, if the Lions off, you know, if their staff kind of wakes up and realizes what they have there and start using a more aggressive passing attack and just kind of abandon the, their very, very putrid running uh, game. I think that uh, you're going to see the lions, you know, come, you know, start finally start putting together some wins. I know they're two, two and one right now, um, but they still have home games against the bears, home game against the Vikings and uh, home game against the Packers. So if they can win those three games then they are absolutely in the discussion to take the NFC North. And I think their price right now is about uh, 10 to one, uh, which I think is pretty silly given that they have the best quarterback in that division. All right, well, before we ask you about some uh, Week 7 picks, um, one more question about NFL in general. I'm sure you've seen this trend. Away underdogs are hitting at, like, 56, 33, <laughs> and 2 against the spread. It's a 62% yeah. clip thus far through the season. Do you see this trend continuing? Well, home field advantage is canceled, um, and <laughs> there are a bunch of reasons why. Um for sure, the atmosphere at these, you know, in these stadiums is not as conducive to disrupting the opponent's planning as it was. I think also huh. teams have are are better prepared and better understand, you know, how to get their communications, you know, how to get their, um, you know, their adjustments and their, you know, their play calls in in a way that, you know, is not impacted by how loud the stadium is. Um, number two, the refereeing, they've put a specific emphasis on, you know, on trying to de-emphasize uh, refs making calls that advantage the home team because that's one of like a traditional referee bias across all sports. And, you know, they're they're trying hard to eliminate that. And that seems to be working other than that Monday night Packers game. Um, and then the um, the travel and preparation of teams themselves when they're going on the road, clearly they're doing something better this year than in years past uh you know the the traditional angle of back-to-back road teams early in the season just underperforming their expectation by a standard deviation has completely evaporated in fact teams in those spots a lot of times through six weeks this season have been playing great and i think that there's you know just enough kind of understanding and and upgrades to the way that um you know teams are evaluating their players, keeping track of their sleep and keeping track of their, you know, diets and, you know, how they're taking care of themselves in season is reaping rewards in terms of they're not, uh, they're not struggling as much in these difficult travel spots. And so, um, you know, we've seen over the years, home field advantage is diminished by, you know, because of all of these aspects that play into it are all being addressed. And uh, I think this year is just kind of the culmination of that. And, you know, I don't, I don't have zero home field advantage in my model, 
but I have a very, very small home field advantage built in. And, um, it's by far and away the smallest that I've implemented through, um, all of the years handicapping the NFL to this point. And, uh, I don't see that changing until we get into kind of later in this, in the, in the, uh, I mean, there's still going to potentially be cold weather impacts, but, the way that they schedule makers put the uh, you know put their schedule together this year, there's not really a lot of warm weather teams going outdoors to or warm weather or indoor teams going outdoors to disadvantaged situations as we get into the final quarter of the season. So this may be uh, this may just be an entire season where we see home field just doesn't matter as much. And uh, to this point, I've been taking advantage of that because I think a lot of uh, a lot of the spreads are still reflecting you know pretty reasonable you know three, two and a half, at least point adjustments in favor of the home team. And I'm not sure that's warranted in very many cases anymore. Excellent stuff there, Whale. And uh, just to get you uh, off here soon, uh, let's go into this week, week seven. Any plays that you made so far this week as far as a side or total in the NFL? Ooh, I got a handful on my card. Uh, I like uh, I like some dogs this week, and I like some uh, some road dogs. I like that. <laughs> Ironically, go figure. Uh, I think the yeah, I think the Eagles and the Ravens are both live to get wins on the road uh, as uh, small dogs, and um, I. I gotta tell you, I got a funny feeling that the Patriots are gonna have their hands full of Sam Darnold and the Jets on Monday Night Football. I don't know if the Jets totally get a agree. win outright, um, but I think that uh, this is gonna be the toughest test for you know they're they're legitimately a great defense in New England, but um, they have not gone up against tough competition. This is gonna be a pretty big step up for them. So uh, interested to see how they match up, and I like the, the the points with the Jets, and I like the over in that. And uh, um, in general, I've taken some total swings here under on the uh, Giants game. I think the Giants defense is being slept on in a little bit and the, the Cardinals offense is a little bit overpriced based on who they played the last couple of weeks. I going back to the well banging over in a, in a Falcons game. Uh, the Falcons can score and their defense can't stop anyone. Uh, and then the, um, uh, the I like the over in uh, uh, there was a whole handful I like, oh, my favorite maybe of all my favorite play is the under in the uh, Colts-Texans game. This has a classic kind of uh, field position chess match, um, offensive line uh, for both sides dictating through the run game. Um, I like uh, all of the pieces that are coming back defensively for the Colts. I think the Colts get a tight win, but the fact that this was a 48 total earlier in the week was absolutely bonkers, and so I swung hard on the uh, under in that game and uh, looking for just kind of a classic uh, a classic divisional tilt with uh, two two teams that uh, know each other well, and um, hopeful that uh, the coaching on part of uh, Frank Reich is the uh, differentiating factor in that, and that the Colts can uh, position themselves to take control of the AFC South. All right, guys, tremendous stuff as usual from Whale Capper. Whale, before we let you go, anything to plug here? Anything at all? Oh, man, all the stuff we're doing for NFL, all the content that uh, we're creating, you can find it all at our Twitter, at my Twitter page, at whale underscore capper. Um, the, the halftime periscopes, uh, where we handicap the uh, second half of these primetime games, has been super fun. Uh, check that out. And all you need to do is, uh, you know, skip, skip the national broadcasts which are completely useless if you're trying to bet the second half of these games and <laughs> tune into the halftime periscope and uh, listen to the angles that uh, that we have to present to see if you can find a good way to make some money on the second half of these games. 
All right, that was Whale Capper. You guys can follow Whale at Whale underscore Capper on Twitter, where he puts out some epic, actionable information to the masses. Whale, thanks for calling in. It was great having you back on the show. Maybe we can link up again during the playoffs. Hey, that sounds great, guys. Keep up the great work, and uh, it's been a pleasure. Thanks, Whale. All right, guys, that was an awesome interview with Whale Capper. As usual, on to our picks segment here. We're going to start in the college area. Brock, what are you looking at? I'll let you kick it off this week. Yeah, Chris, I got a couple plays already locked and loaded and ready to go for the college slate this week. Uh, we'll start off, I guess, I think I've been doing this now. I've been giving at least a, a Friday game since the show drops on a Friday, something you could listen to and hopefully uh, get down on still if the numbers still make sense for you. Um, the first game we're going to look at here on Friday, we're going to look at the total. Pittsburgh, Syracuse, uh, they're playing Friday night, 7 o'clock, Carrier Dome. I think we're going to get a shootout here. I was told take the over, 51 and a half. Uh, it did start uh, earlier this week at 53 and a half, so now it's down to 51 and a half. I think this thing might uh, you know, just get back up there again. I think you're going to get two teams in the Dome uh, you know, kind of just basically airing it out back and forth. And uh, I think the over 51 and a half is definitely a good play to look at here at Pitt uh, going to Syracuse. Over 51 and a half, airing it out in the dome, track meet in the dome, guys. That's Brock Landers. You can follow him at Brock Landers 41 on Twitter. My first play this week in college football. You know, I like to bet these situations, Brock. I bring it up every week, especially in college football. You're dealing with young kids, 18 to 22 years old. They cannot always handle these situations that happen from week to week. I'm looking at the Florida game, Florida-South Carolina. South Carolina coming off one of their biggest upsets in the program history and definitely one of the biggest upsets in years versus Georgia last week. The Gators been looking strong, okay? This, this new kid at QB, uh, Trask, Kyle Trask, he looks a lot better than uh, Felipe Franks did earlier in the season. I love the change. The kid's been playing great. Give me the Gators. It opened at minus six. It went to minus five and a half yesterday. Now it's down to five. Going in our favor, the public is all over it. It's like 93% public money on this game right now. But hey, sometimes even the squares win. I'm riding with the public this week. Give me the Gators, minus five. I like it, Chris. Makes a lot of sense. And, uh, you know, last week, I, I'd never tend to put any money on the actual money line on some of these big dogs in college football, but I was kicking myself seeing that game last week. I did have uh, uh, SC getting the uh, the 24 and a half originally, I think it was, uh, Friday night or Saturday morning. <sighs> and then someone, uh, I, I see the update that they won outright. I was like, oh my God, I should have had something on the money line. Uh, Chris, going to another game here on the college slate. Uh, if you like taking favorites, take a look at Navy this week. I was told take Navy. This line might go up a little bit more. It's at 14 right now. Uh, they're playing uh, against a team right now, the South, uh, South Florida Bulls. Uh, they're coming to Navy. I think you're going to get Navy here in an all-out game of them just basically 
taking advantage of this team. Uh, again, I see 14s all over the place. Uh, Pinnacle's actually at 14.5 already as we do this show. Um, so definitely take a look, I think, at Navy this week, laying 14. All right, Brock, the next game I'm looking at here on the college football slate is a 3.30 p.m. Saturday kickoff. I'm looking at Temple versus SMU. SMU is flying under the radar here. Not a lot of people talking about them. They're one of the few undefeated teams left in the country. But I'm looking at the underdog, the Temple Owls. These guys have been playing great all year long. I really like what I'm seeing at a quarterback, Anthony Russo Jr. This team plays tough. It's a key number in football. Getting the extra hook, plus seven and a half. Give me Temple. I might even look a little at the money line here, plus 210 on the comeback. Very nice, Chris. I like it. Taking a dog here on a college Saturday. Temple Owls for Chris Rogers. Wager Pager Podcast. Uh, Chris, I've got two more sides for you for the uh, afternoon on Saturday. Uh, I was told to definitely take a look at the uh, Louisiana Monroe Warhawks. They're getting uh, double digits. Uh, I took them at 17 and a half. I'm seeing the line down to 15. You're still getting two scores, uh, you know. So definitely take a look there. And I was also told to uh, take a good look at the Charlotte 49ers. They're going to Western Kentucky this week. Uh, I got it at 10 and a half. It's around nine and a half. You might want to buy it up to 10 if you can. Uh, those are two sides. And then I'm going to leave you with one total here to finish up my college stuff that I was given. Uh, take a look at the Michigan and Penn State uh, Saturday night game. It looks like they're playing in Penn State there. Uh, we're going to definitely take a look here at the over. Over 46. Uh, two teams, Michigan, Penn State, both ranked. Uh, we might get a, a good uh, offensive showing here by both teams, and uh, we could get, see some points in this one. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised to see uh, you know Michigan come out tough. It's not a play for me, but you know I would look at it. My last play here on the college football slate Saturday, I'm looking at 4 p.m. kickoff here, Baylor versus Oklahoma State. I love Coach Matt Rule for the Baylor Bears. This guy has had this team playing great. He's like uh, one of my favorite coaches in the country. Oklahoma State burned me earlier in the year. I'm not going to go back and have that done again. Baylor, plus four and a half on this game, 4 p.m., Another game I may even look at the money line, plus 170. Almost 2-1 to one on the comeback. I think that wraps it up for college this week. Oh, let's go over to the NFL, the National Football League. Uh, we'll let Brock kick it off because this is where he makes his bread and butter. Yeah, Chris, couple dogs I like this week, and I have one favorite as well. Uh, let's first start, though, at the uh, the 1 o'clock slate of games. I already made a play on this, and hopefully the viewers can uh, still get down on this game before it gets out of control or if it moves anymore. Um, but I'm definitely taking a look at the Oakland Raiders this week. I'm not sure if you uh, made a wager yet on this game, Chris, but I am on Oakland for sure this week. Let's just take a look real quick at Green Bay's uh, last couple games. They went to Dallas two weeks ago, got it done there, 34-24, Come back, they played a controversial Monday night football game in Green Bay against a divisional rival that they were lucky to win that game, Chris. We saw 23-22 defeating the Lions. Now they're playing an Oakland Raider team that's fresh off of the London game. They were off last week. Last time we saw them, they beat the Bears in London. They had off last week. And now Green Bay, look ahead to next week. They've got to go to Arrowhead and play a Sunday night game against Patrick Mahomes. I think this is a huge sandwich spot in between here. Uh, the Packers might get caught looking ahead. 
They still might win the game outright, but I think Oakland puts an all-out effort there uh, and at least keeps this game close. Oakland Raiders, plus six, plus six and a half if you can get it. Tease it. Do whatever you want with it. Oakland, definitely my play for this week. The autumn wind is a pirate blustering in from sea with a rollicking song. He sweeps along, swaggering boisterously, his face weather-beaten. He wears a hooded sash with a silver hat about his head. The autumn wind is a raider, building nice. just for fun. <laughs> Brock Landers, I am with you on this play. This is my first play on my NFL card here. Raiders, I even want to maybe take the money line on this fucking play right here, Brock. I'm so pumped up about the Raiders. Plus 205. Packers coming in. I think a little karma play here off that lucky win. The refs handed it to them. They're, they think they're the shit right now. That Yes, it's a tough place to play in Lambeau, but John Gruden has these team, this team playing very well right now. Four and two. Surprising team in the NFL. Give me the Raiders. Plus four and a half. Maybe even look at the money line. Riding with Brock Landers, what's up next on your plays? Uh, yeah, Chris, the next game that I'm definitely going to take a look at, and just to correct you, uh, Raiders are 3-2. three and two. I'm sorry. Two. Well, I'm assuming they're going to win. There Four you and go. Two. I like it. Confidence <laughs> all, all over the place today. Uh, yeah, I'm going to go now to another game at 1 o'clock, uh, divisional game. I'm going to take the home team here, the Indianapolis Colts. Simple handicap for this one. You ready for this one, Chris? Very simple. Houston just came off of a huge win in Arrowhead. Now they got to get up to play a divisional team who's coming off of a bye, the Indianapolis Colts. And I think Indy, from what I've seen, I'm more impressed with Indy this season than I am Houston. Uh, I think it's a great spot. You Right now it's at pick. Uh, anytime you're going to get a divisional game there, less than three points with the home team, you got to take it. I'm all over Indy in this one, Chris. All right, Brock, my next play here in the NFL is another play stemming from that Monday night debacle, okay? I'm looking at the Detroit Lions here. I think they're going to be coming in real salty with a chip on their shoulder after that that win that they think got robbed right from their hands. Tough interdivisional game, pretty much like the same thing you just said with Houston and Indy. Interdivisional game, close spread. Give me the Lions. Yeah, we're going to go against the recency bias with everyone loving the Vikings right now. The Vikings have been looking great the last couple weeks. Give me the Lions at home, plus one. Yeah, Chris, I actually lean that way, especially, like you said, simple handicap there, too. The The Lions are pretty pissed off for Monday night. They got another division rival to right the ship here. And again, look at Minnesota. Two weeks ago, nobody wanted to, to take that team. They looked terrible with Kirk Cousins. Uh, but they did show up last week, beat Philly pretty soundly. So I definitely lean that way as well with the Lions. Chris, I got one game I'm going to go to here now for the uh, the 4 o'clock slate, uh, actually 4.30 if you want to get technical. I'm going to take the Chicago Bears. They're going to be laying three against the very hot New Orleans Saints. I think, again, this is a spot where you're getting a Bears team who got embarrassed in the London game against Oakland. Uh, they've had a, a week to think about that. They come home now to Soldier Field. And they're going to get Teddy Bridgewater outside again. Another chance now for Bridgewater, who's going to be on the road. He was on the road last week in Jacksonville. He passed that test. I don't think Jacksonville is was you know in that position to be laying those points. They, they went off that game, actually, at two and a half, I think, right before kickoff. Um, so they were favored that game. I don't know really what people saw with that. I mean, it was the sexy side, I guess, for the Sharps to play. Um, but again... I think they're going to get a pissed-off Bears team at home here, and Trubisky's coming back. Uh, I think it's a good spot for the Bears here, three or less. I think it's definitely a play for me. 
Very interesting stuff. As usual, from Brock Landers. You guys can follow him on Twitter at BrockLanders41. I got one more play here. Uh, I'm going to follow the theme of the week of the episode with uh, our simple handicaps. Give me the freaking Rams. Minus three. Are you kidding me? Yeah, they've looked like shit the last couple weeks, but the Atlanta Falcons have arguably the worst defense in the league and probably the worst secondary in the league. Give me the Rams to get healthy. I think they score at least 30. Look at their team total over the Rams, minus three, on the road to thump the Atlanta Falcons. Yeah, Chris, I want nothing to do with that Falcons team, and to see Dan Quinn still there, I'm shocked. I really thought they were going to leave him last week in Arizona after that game. Uh, Again, I don't know what they're waiting for there. If there was ever a time for Atlanta to show up, it's definitely this week at home, but... Hey, look at the Rams. The Rams just acquired last night Jalen Ramsey. I'm sure that's going to definitely bring some, uh, you know, some confidence towards towards this team. And going on the road facing a wounded Falcons team, I wouldn't be surprised with that. Well, that'll just about do it for this episode. We are running out of time on this week's edition of the Wager Pager Podcast. Make sure you get out to those sports books this weekend here in Jersey and make sure you beat those lines and cash some tickets. Get pumped. Get psyched. It's the Wager Pager Podcast. All right, guys, that's it for Season 2, Episode 9. Special thanks to our guest, Whale Capper. Thanks to my co-host, Brock Landers. And, of course, thanks to the guys here at Van Voorst Films. And, as always, good luck, happy handicapping, and may the gambling gods look gracefully down upon you. Thanks for listening, guys. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Don't forget to leave us a review. And please tell all your friends about the Wager Pager podcast. And follow us on Twitter and Instagram at the Wager Pager. Also, if you or a loved one has a gambling addiction, don't be scared to seek help. You can contact the National Council on Problem Gambling at 1-800-522-4700. They're open 24 hours a day, and all calls and text messages are confidential. Here we go. The Wager Pager Podcast is co-hosted by Chris Rogers and Brock Landers, executive produced by Van Voorst Films, edited by Van Voorst Films, co-produced by Chris Rogers and Brock Landers, created by Chris Rogers and Mercedes Barba. Music by The Morose Project, produced and written at San Francisco Music Studios. Logo designed by John Carbonella. All picks are for entertainment purposes only. These plays are not financial advice.